Guess what, everybody? Sports are back. Yes, sports are back, and we want you to save 40% off. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Please subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com backslash Seattle-Seahawks, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. Go to theathletic.com backslash Seattle-Seahawks for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you guys there. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugar. I'm here with my co-host Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You can follow me at Mike Dugar. That is M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. I will verify if you didn't catch any of that. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at C-K-I-D-D-206 and at C-Kidd206. I'm verified on Instagram as well. Uh, just just putting that out there. Uh, Chris, let me get you a blue check. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. Sooner than later. Uh, Chris, I want to open with some audio. We haven't done that in a while. I want to open with something from Pete Carroll that I think is relevant and that a lot of people are talking about. Uh, Pete Carroll did his first, like, Zoom-ish call. Actually, it wasn't Zoom-ish. It was a Zoom call because, you know, in a normal year, we'd be at training camp. I'd be with the VMAC. I would wear too many clothes I'm supposed to and be sweating all through the receiver drills and be bad. Uh, but it's because of COVID, we can't, so we had to talk to Pete through Zoom. And right before the press conference ended, someone asked Pete Carroll, hey, you guys have been linked to Antonio Brown. What's up with that? This is what Pete had to say about that. What I'd say to you is just uh, what we always say, because it's, it's what we always do and who we are. John will, is competing at every turn, and, and there's never been a process, unless we just missed it, that we, we weren't involved with to understand what the chances were helping our club. And uh, he's all over it. He knows what's going on right now and, and, and as much as you can. It, it remains, a, you know, it's, it's a very complex situation. We just need to see where, where it fits somewhere down the road, Not, you know, and that's, that's all I got for you. As crazy as it sounds, like, that is actually the first time Pete Carroll has addressed Antonio Brown uh, directly this offseason. I know he mentioned Antonio Brown, I think, last September when A.B. was at, like, peak, like, hemothy mode. Uh, shout out to all our listeners who knows what hemothy means. Uh, but I thought the way Pete framed that is very important because it's the tone I tried to take in my latest Monday Musings column in that, noting there are plenty of reasons for the Seahawks to not touch Antonio Brown with a 10-foot pole. Plenty of reasons, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into those a little bit. Um, but... If this what the Seahawks are considering this, because those reasons come secondary to competition, and not just competition like on the roster. Obviously, if they sign him, he's he's playing because he would be the best receiver on the team because he is the best receiver in the league. I would argue, it's the competition with like everyone else. Like Pete and John are no dummies, right? They're looking at the roster and they say, "Cool, man, this Jamal Adams thing is great. This is great. We're 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 in a good spot right now with Jamal." Even though we'll probably lose in Quentin Dunbar, we're good over there. All right, let's flip around the other side of the ball. Oh, okay, cool. We had we had a top five offense last year, top seven or whatever it was. We were pretty dang good. Okay, but what was the real problem? Our division is good as hell. Like that's like if even if they only looked at everything in context of the division, like ignore teams like New Orleans or Green Bay or whatever. The division has well, the best offensive mind in the league in Shanahan, maybe top three at least. Um, on top of having like guys like Kittle or whatever. Uh, but even then, you have Jared Goff and that offense. I think Jared Goff stinks. However, he does not stink against the Seahawks, something <laughs> we've addressed on this show. It's the one team he just tears up, right? So you got that going for you. And then the Cardinals, they already gave you the beatdown, right? Up here in Seattle, they gave you the beatdown. Then they added D-Hop to bring the beatdown. So if you're looking around at the division, just, just that's it. You got to compete. And whether you whether that's okay or not, uh, and I, we've talked about morality a little bit on this show as well, whether that's okay or not, that's the reality of how Pete and John are looking at this. Does this cuckoo dude named Himothy make the team better? And the answer is, without a doubt, yes. And the John Snyder and Pete Carroll have many job titles, 
But if you know how you know how you, Chris, you know how you apply for a job on like LinkedIn or whatever or Indeed, or you look for it and it gives you the descriptions of what your duties are. If you're Pete and John, their duties, if you just like slimmed it down to one line, it would say win games. That's it. Or maybe if you're Pete Carroll, your job your job description says win games. If you're John Snyder, it says help him win games. That's it. That's like the simplest form of it. And that's how they're going to look at everything. Whether that's okay or not, we can get into that. But I think that's important to know when you're talking about A.B. Because I know people hear the A.B. and they think of all the things that he's been accused of. And that's very serious. I think we should never forget that he's accused of rape. Like that's a very serious accusation. And he's just overall knucklehead. Seems pretty self-centered. Those are bad things. Because those are bad things, right? Yeah. Those are not things you would want to associate your team with. But then there's the other side, which I think you're getting ready to touch on, which is win games, win games <laughs> and what he brings. Now, also, there's another thing. Does he deserve another chance? People would say, Chris, how many chances does this man need? He had Oakland. He had New England. He fumbled both of those. This would be technically his third chance, if you want to be correct. No, it would. It would. With the Seahawks. And I think you, you should give him a shot. He has been pretty quiet for the most part. He retired. I'm retired. I honestly don't know what this man wants to do at this point. But I think you kind of you 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 took you off wax. You were saying that you spoke with Mike Clayton or not Mike John Clayton about the whole situation about A B and some things that I might might be resurfacing in regards to is he playing? Is he not? Do you have anything on that and why he is maybe unretiring or staying retired? Well, we we me and him would just kind of have like a. Just kind of shooting the. I'm not gonna cuss on here, but <laughs> it was it was mostly just kind of spitballing things. And I already had the idea in my mind that in terms of unretiring and retiring, right? Like AB on Instagram, he he made clear to like Roger Goodell, like, look, man, I do want to play. Mm-hmm. Am I gonna be suspended or not? Yep. If so, how long? And I think there's so much going on with his investigation um, that the NFL is like, all right, cool. You, you, you pressuring us? You want to hit the Instagram? All right, cool. Here's eight games. Got it. Okay. We're going to come back to the table. We may even give you more, but for now, here's eight. Now, shut up. Now, you that know? makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so that's the the other like part of the math here that the Seahawks have to do. But even then, you would think that that would come secondary. Like, in a perfect world, perfect world, people are like, hey, man, our team should have some good character guys on here. Stay away from dudes who are accused of doing what A.B. is accused of doing to women. Do, stay away from dudes who have proven to be all about themselves over a team. You know, stay away from dudes who are now on, like you said, on like a third chance. Like in a perfect world, yes, the team that you root for would want those things and they would be a top priority. But in Seattle, they're not. At this point, this appears almost to me as last chance you, where this guy has had issues, problems. He's This is this – is, the Seahawks would be the junior college where he gets another shot at this, whether because of grades, attitude problems, whatever the situation may be. Seahawks are the JUCO school that, you know, you come to to get revamped, where you get a great coach in Pete Carroll, a solid owner with – not owner, a solid GM with John Schneider and how this team goes about their things and how they handle business on the field, that is. Cause when it comes down to it, it's all about competing. And, Mike, you touch on that. A lot, and Pete mentions it, I think, in every conference. I, I, I want to compete, guys. <laughs> Everything is competing. If, if I can he bring made COVID a- about competing. Oh, goodness, please don't, Pete. But He, he did. He did. <laughs> he made, Well, in the context of uh, – sorry to cut you off. But We're going to beat this virus? He, well, th- I think it was Greg Bell, Tacoma News Tribune, who asked, hey, man, how did you guys pull it off, or how do you feel about it, how you guys pulled it off that you're one of like a dozen teams that doesn't even have anyone on the COVID list? Yeah. And he, Pete basically responded with a long answer, but within that he was like, yeah, no, man, we, we were competing in that regard too. It was like, <laughs> dude, really? <laughs> that's a little weird, but go that's, ahead. That's Pete. But back to AB, I think the Seahawks, they love a challenge. And how great of a challenge would it be bringing in a guy like Antonio Brown, who for the past two, three seasons has been a headache for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Oakland Raiders, I would say New England, three teams, right? Prior to that, if you looked at his 2007-2018 season, you might have heard rumblings about Antonio Brown. Maybe he's a diva, Terrell Owens type who wants the ball. But when he gets the ball, he makes plays, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That didn't work out in, in, in Pittsburgh. He ended up not playing the final game 
that pretty much was going to seal the deal for him to make the postseason or not. He, I'm sitting out. Yep. He did that. Meanwhile, that season, he put up over 1,200 yards. I think he led the league in touchdowns that year. He had 15 touchdowns. Yeah, I think that led the I league. I mean, that type of talent is, is tough to go by. I mean, there's only a handful of guys that do that. Julio, him. D-Hop. D-Hop. Who doesn't score as much, I don't think. A.J. Green when he's healthy at the time. If we're talking about 2018. There's only a handful of guys that do that, right? And he's one of them. Mm-hmm. And the Seahawks now have an opportunity to get him. I mean, how bad would it be to bring him in if he buys in? Now, we're not excusing all the stuff off the field. Maybe Pete even has a discussion with A.B. saying, hey, we don't appreciate all the other crap you were doing off the field, but we know how talented you are on the field. And if you can buy in to what Russ, what Bobby, what our leaders have outlined for you on this team, I think we can make it work. What do you say to that? And A.B., I'm all in. If you need me to, I'll delete my social media, which I don't know if he would even do that. But Doubt it. Doubt it. There are doubts there, but – I think the Seahawks just have that – they have an ideology where they bring guys in that might have a trouble pass where they can not fix them but just give them an opportunity. And that's sometimes all they need is someone to believe in them. Like, for example, even though Josh Gordon, we don't know whatever would happen and why he was pretty much kicked out of the league. There have been rumors that have surfaced, but he got that opportunity with the Seahawks and he made pretty much the most out of it. He had a couple of catches that were huge, right? A.B. could be in that same situation, although A.B. wants to score. He also wants to win. And I think if he's able, if he's cupped, if he's brought in with the Seahawks and what Pete Carroll and John Snyder are trying to do, he might buy in. And in the long run, that could mean a chance at a Super Bowl championship. Whereas, let's say the 49ers snag him. And this, and Pete has come out and said, we're not going to even waste our time with A.B. We know the trouble guy. You know how badly that will be flipped on him? Oh, if the Niners get him, you mean? If someone in, in the division got him. The Niners, the Cardinals, you name it. If someone else, the Rams, yeah, it would not be a good look. And I think Pete's handling it the right way. Hey, the guy can play ball. We get. I mean, he didn't. He, he didn't say that in in this clip that we played, but he's insinuating that we get it. We're not gonna miss out on this opportunity if he's available and wants to play for the Seahawks, which AB has come out. I believe. No, yeah, yeah. He's, he'd play with Russ. I mean, we saw him catching passes from Russ. So there's clearly. I think he was at Russ's house. <laughs> there's clearly something there between the two. And I think he would definitely buy in. You look at the leaders with Russ and Bobby Wagner, I really think that A.B. would come to understanding like, okay, it's not all about me, and it's about the team. And if I can help this team win, I'm going to do so. And you kind of saw a glimpse of that in Oakland, but then he burned his feet off, and then everything else happened. It, it just became a cycle of drama. Because I, I believe A.B. really wanted to be in Oakland. I mean, he really saw that him and Carr could really light things up. But one thing led to another, and it never got any better after that. And I think with Seattle, I mean, the only negative thing that the Seahawks have on them is the Malik McDowell situation, if you want to be honest, right? I mean, what else have the Seahawks done that's just like, oh, my God, they did that? I mean, sure, you can bring up the whole Frank Clark situation, but look what he did. He revamped his career, took off, and now he won a championship with the Kansas City Chiefs, right? I mean, Seattle is really a home where you have an opportunity – to build your name up and make something better for yourself. That's, that's what I would put it at. Well, so I think there's an important word you use here that we should dive into a little bit, and it's the word deserve. Whether you deserve a chance, a third, fourth, fifth, seventh, eighth chance, doesn't matter, really. I think because that's, that's where we get into the lane that I think everyone starts with, with Antonio. Um, and it's a question of us like, have you burned enough bridges and how did you burn them? Because there are like legitimate red flags here. And the first one is the character. Cause it's just like how, what message do you want to send? Right. That you don't care about, you know, anyone who's accused of sexual assault being on your team. Right. Especially if you don't even get them for the whole year. Yeah. Eight and, weeks. Yeah. And that's like at best is eight weeks there. And that's I, I can't really ignore that part of it, especially um, not even especially in this climate necessarily, because women should always matter. But there's there's that part of it. Right? That's a big big part. Like, how, or who are we though to determine the deserve part? Who are the Seahawks to determine the deserve part? Or who is like Roger Goodell to determine the deserve part, where someone even has the opportunity to be in the league again? That's a very tricky space to be in, because then you get to like the legality of it and accusations not a conviction and then it's like it gets it's like same thing with Quentin Dunbar right like did he do it did he not 
Like, who are we to say that you deserve a chance or whatever? I think that's a very tricky space we get into. And I understand why people want to get into it. That's fine. That's fine. You don't want people. I think people see AB is like, that's gross. Screw that guy. I feel Total, it. Yeah, I get 100%. it. 100%. When I, when I tried to write today, or not today, uh, my Monday music song, which is understand that all that makes sense. And the Seahawks probably don't give a damn. Well, and I think that's where we got to direct the energy. If if that's the energy you have, I don't necessarily think that any football team should be like the morality police in that regard. Um, but like those are the people you got to call out here, letting them know like, hey, you signed this guy. This is a pro- you're hypocrites in that in that way. And I, necessarily, I don't know if they're hypocrites because they've just kind of been on this tune for a while now. Um, but I think that they deserve that like blowback if they do that do you remember the discussion we had last year when we were talking about if there's even a hint of abuse or anything that happens off the field that we deem well not deem that is bad and to the point where the police have to be called minimum eight games of pension remember that discussion we had uh yeah vaguely basically this i think this applies if a b has been accused of situations eight games right there and the nfl took a while to do that, but they're not the judge and juror. There's court. Yeah, that. and that's the tough space that you get I- into. Yes. Um, but like I said, the Seahawks have kind of like let let that known from the jump. It's like yeah, you draft Frank, you hang on to Jay Reed. Jay, yep. We talked about Jay Reed. The police report on the Jay Reed thing is it's pretty not, bad. Not good. No. It's really, really, really bad. Like make your own judgments or whatever. But it is. There's nothing about like the police report itself is bad. Whether you want to believe whoever, what's in there is very, very, very bad. Uh, but the Seahawks didn't care, right? It was like, oh, six games, cool, come back. All right, that was it. Like, And we kind of just let that rock, and that's fine. We can do that. Um, the, the other part of it is the wishful thinking element. And this is what people do when they want something, when you have a kind of a bias there. And I think we both have that. Oh, I know I have a bias. Uh, I don't have it as much, I would say. Um, I think it would be dope if the Seahawks had a player that good, but I can understand why you don't want to have a guy like that because he grows. But I get <laughs> yes. both. I don't really have the bias in that way necessarily. But you get the wishful thinking element where it's it's everything that I think Pete and John would be hoping, like you're saying. We yeah. got the leaders in place. You would he'll, hope. He'll change. <laughs> but it's also, it's just like, okay, are you are you saying he'll change because you have evidence he'll change? Or it's like, I'm saying, wishful thinking because we don't, like you said, we got three instances where... AB's issue was, for the most part, being undisciplined and thinking about himself first and not the team. Like those, like the theme is there. Whether it's the burning of the feet, uh, I think that happened before he came to Oakland. But whatever, you got the or the helmet thing. That's what it was. The helmet beef um, there, and then that just deteriorated the relationship between him, Mike Mayock, and John Gruden, and even New England uh, was just like. I think it really got obviously it had the accusations come out too, but then it was just like, dude, then you threaten the the alleged victim via text, like what's okay, you just don't got no discipline, you don't got no sense. I guess that's really uh the main part of it. So like those things I, I, I feel what you're saying. Yeah, they got Russ. They got like Dwayne Brown, they got Tyler, they got Bobby, they got Jerry. They have established dudes in a culture that kinda like is built for this. But I think if we're gonna be realistic about like whether he could like not lose his mind. I think that's really a, a a low. I wouldn't put my money on that. No, I feel it. That's real low chance. We just have too many. We don't have any examples of like good behavior. We have tons of bad, and we don't have really anything in the middle to exhibit like change behavior. We got like one conversation with like prime time uh, that they but were sitting on the bench or whatever. Perhaps those situations prepared him for the Seahawks. Let's say the Seahawks do sign him or another team. It doesn't even have to be the Seahawks, for example. It could be the Niners, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe he gets there. And we don't hear nothing. He has three touchdowns the whole season, has a solid year. They go to the NFC Championship. They win, whatever the case may be. Nothing. He turns 33. He decides he wants to come back another year. Mm-hmm. That's the talk, That's what I'm looking at it as from, the standpoint. Because, I mean, even with the 49ers, they have a solid organization with John Lynch. You see what he's doing. And they have a solid head coach, a good head coach. I mean, I think he just needs just a new element. And I think the Seahawks would be perfect for him, although, to your point, his character hasn't been good. He could easily flip everything and just let everybody else down again. And then it's like, well, we kind of knew this was going to happen. It was on the wall, Chris. I mean, have you not seen that the repeat 
things he's done that things that he's done it's not a, it's not a, it's not a good look but i guess to your question to your point is then if not ab is a josh gordon like if you had to pick one who are you gonna roll with yeah and that's the the next before the ab josh comparison i think that is kind of the next level of this could be everyone can kind of agree the that the passing offense could use a little bit more of a boost right whether you're looking at ab or looking at um josh but i do think until we get the examples of change behavior with AB, I think any like there are reasons to think that it will work, and like you listed out some of them. And then I just think there's we have more evidence that it won't. Yeah. There's just a pattern of behavior that puts AB when AB puts AB first, wherever he's at, and that's I don't know if we have enough to say that that will not happen wherever he goes. Right, it could be here, wherever New Orleans they need receivers to Philly needs receivers. Um, so we'll we'll see. I do think that the important thing to to know in this is that the Seahawks don't really have that moral compass that y'all want them to have. I'm just be honest. <laughs> Pete and John will sign whoever the hell that's done whatever. I honestly think they might sign someone who is a is a, accused of murder. You know, to be honest, as long as they're like all pro. To be honest, I really think they they really just don't give a damn. And then there's a question of whether they should. I personally do not think so. Um, but I understand, you know, not wanting someone like that around now. As it goes with Josh versus AB, this is an interesting one, right? I was talking to my homie, shout out my homies out in London too. I was just talking to them about that. Uh, I didn't go to London. I was, <laughs> I think we were texting or whatever. <laughs> but um, they made a, they asked me a question, and I think it was something to the effect of like, is the difference in talent between like Josh and AB that drastic where you would even like consider bringing AB when you could have someone like Josh who's like a, st- a step down essentially. You know, for probably the same price, and you don't have to take like the PR hit of bringing on an alleged rapist on the team. And I was like, well, if we're just talking about the football aspect of it, I personally thought that AB is worlds better than any receiver on the market. And that includes Josh if he's on the market, whether Josh is suspended for two games or no games or whatever. Where do you where do you stand on the talent gap there? Like, how how big of a difference is this offense with it? Let's just talk football for a second. Big of a difference the offense is when they have uh, A.B. versus Josh Gordon. It's crazy because Josh Gordon was destroying the league drunk and high. I don't know what this man would do sober. Well, uh, I was going to say he was sober. He didn't play 16 games, though, you know. (laughs) He was doing that 16 games like I'm not even really focused. Yeah, that's And that's – it's really tough, but I would also go with A.B. again – just because of what he brings offensively to your team. How big is the gap, though? I is there a gap? I don't think it's that big, no? to be honest. Okay. I mean, if you if you were to say Josh Gordon, I wouldn't be mad at that. Because you know what Josh Gordon's going to do? He's going to go get you a first down, and that might be his only catch of the game, and you won't hear about him complaining about it in the locker room. Whereas with A.B., it could become an issue just because of his past and what we've seen him do. I Last season, I haven't heard anything about Josh Gordon saying, oh, I didn't get the ball that much. Nothing. He got his five, seven catches, touchdown. Cool. Oh, he didn't score. I don't think he didn't score. No, okay. he didn't score. Okay. Oh, he did. Not against the Panthers. He got. He got. They, they yeah. caught him. Yeah. But I mean, he came in. Seahawks won at third, third and seven. First down slant. Thank you. Come back to the bench. That was all they needed from him, right? Could a B? Could you see a B doing that? That is the bigger question. That's why I think it comes down to. Because if it was as simple as who puts up the numbers, okay, yeah, I could lean with a B there because a B's been doing it. His whole career, pretty much. Uh, yes. Whereas Josh Gordon, he did it, but he wasn't even really mentally focused. Comes to Seattle, they're not really asking him to do a lot. Right. He had seven catches, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, he, I think seven for. Uh, go ahead, I'm looked that up. He had, let's say, seven catches for a you know a couple hundred yards, and that was that. And you never heard a peep about it. It wasn't as if he wanted it more. He wanted the ball more. He really, and unfortunately, he ended up being released by the team per the NFL because of what happened. But I think between those two guys, if I had to pick a guy, I would definitely lean towards A.B. But with Josh Gordon, there's no headache. He really just comes in and does his job. And that's what you would want out of your wide receiver, especially knowing how elite and how good Josh Gordon is. And he's still young. It's not like he's 39 years old. He's still a young talent. He just has to figure out some things within himself before he can get right on the football field. But I would still take A.B. I do think – I think the gap is pretty significant, and I think I explained to the homie like this. Um, I think Josh makes the offense better. Okay. I think. 
I think AB makes it the best in the league. Like that's the 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 gap for me. But I I'm with you on on the I guess that's not intangibles, but it is the just like the other aspect of it that I think AB wanted the ball more when he was getting what like double digit targets. <laughs> it happens a, a game <laughs> in uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, brother, let me tell you right now, you ain't getting no double digit targets over here. You might get three. You it, might, th- it might be the Josh Gordon where you get two targets, and that's it. I think uh, Tyler went with one game. He didn't even have a target. Did he have a target in the Vikings game last year? Let me look that up too, because uh, that's that's not great. I I think that you're right. That is probably the more important question. I think most people would, uh, you know, figure that the gap is significant, but is it significant enough to warrant the risk that you are like? taking on versus Josh is a lot safer even if it doesn't make your team as good and perhaps you get him for more games not perhaps you're going to get him for more games you know barring health I do think that's interesting part of it because yeah I think honestly let me be honest with you guys here for a second the best argument against the Seahawks bringing on AB isn't even like a morality thing it's the fact that this is a run first offense that's the best argument against it because that boy is going to wild out. That's the other thing. Like you say, he's changed. he may change. Like this could be a good situation for him. You know what's not a good situation? Them running the ball. Running the ball <laughs> out, of, out of damn time. Like that's the – I don't care if that boy go to therapy for whatever. You come here and, I mean, like you get a game where Chris Carson gets 19 carries. Carlos Hyde gets like seven. What's that, 26 runs. Uh, Russ drops back about 28 times, uh, and he's, he's spreading it out to disleague. Running for his life. Olsen gives Carson a, a couple targets. He gives Tyler like eight. He gives DK like eight. And then he uh, he, he gives Antonio Brown like four. Well, that ain't enough. You know, so I, and it, but let's say they win the game. Just, you know, that's, yeah, he's actually pretty lucky. He probably won't have locker room access. But honestly, that, <laughs> when I think about the situation, that's honestly the best argument. And that's one I don't have accounted for. I really, I really don't because I just, like I said, I've kind of uh, implied it here. I don't think much has changed with Timothy, you know, or Boomin. Uh, my man Kev say Mr. Big Chess, uh, whatever. Like, see, that's the other thing. You can't have that many nicknames of me thinking you changed. That's too many nicknames, bro. Like, if you got that many nicknames, you care about, about a lot more of the stuff. Timothy, <laughs> Mr. Big Chess, Boomin. Granted, I like all those nicknames. Still, it's just that that tells me hasn't much hasn't changed. And even if he was in like a good space mentally with anything else. And was on the straight and narrow. The minute that he goes four games, we're getting six targets total. Okay, we got some problems. And that's where Josh comes in because that's not a problem. In the what did Josh have? Like seven, seven seven catches, one hundred thirty nine yards. Okay, and he got in five games. Five games started one. Okay, and that's what you're getting from. And you're not gonna. He's not gonna complain in the locker room about not getting the ball enough because he knows this is an opportunity to get back in the league and be consistent. And you know maybe. Right. For the, let's say he had played out the 2019 season, he ends the season with maybe well 20 catches, 250 yards, three touchdowns. Right now he's spent a year with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. He's proven to be a factor with the team, and now the Seahawks put more trust in him, and that means more snaps, more opportunity, and we might get a chance where he he gets you know 25 catches, 40, 50 targets. It could come to that. But he had to take a step back because he was released from the team mid-season, and oh, now he, was, he was suspended. Suspended. Well, suspended. Yeah. Excuse me. Indefinitely. He's gone. How about that? Yeah, that's the other. Well, the indefinite part of the suspension I think is really important because um, he could be reinstated, which he's filed for reportedly. Um, but there's no guarantee that he'll like be able to play all 16. Now I've reached out to some sources I have about whether he would be suspended uh, upon being reinstated. It's up in the air. The league could decide because how many games was he suspended for? I think he missed the he played the Carolina game, so that means he missed the Cardinals game and he missed the Niners game, and he missed the two playoff games. So let's say they're like, all right, cool, we'll give you a six game suspension with time served, which means you would have been suspended for four of that six already. So let's say he has to miss the first two weeks. I remember giving you eight games with time served, so you get to miss four. I don't know that. I think that is up in the air at, at the moment, uh, but I think you know even even then. I can see where people are coming from on the let's just go with the safer one, especially because they already got Jamal Adams, um, and you're not going to get the part where, like, he wows out in the locker room. Now, I will say this, um, and this is not necessarily a counter for the idea that, like, he would get the tripping if he didn't get the ball, because <laughs> I guarantee you he would. Um, I'm not sure that it would necessarily impact the on-field product. 
that much, if at all. I do think that, if anything about Seattle's locker room culture, I think that's honestly where you've seen the greatest value. As disruptive as you've had guys with fights and people beefing with each other, I've known there's been on guys on the team who just straight up just hate each other. Like, for real. And you would not tell at all on Sundays. Because that's really what matters. Um, you know, Percy Harvin, Golden Tate, right before the biggest game of the year, 43 to 8, black eye. Like, they can, they make it happen. I, when I tell, when I argue with people about Richard Sherman, and they're like, ah, oh, he was destroying the locker room, destroying the locker room. It's like, guys, if we take the Seth Wickersham article at face value, which, sure, I'm fine with doing that. That means uh, Sherman hated Russ since February of 2015. We didn't even get a whiff of that really until May, no, April of 2017, right? And it never affected the on-field product. You didn't watch games and be think, man, 25 sure does hate three. You know what I'm saying? Didn't really get that. Like, I've heard the Legion of Boom wasn't even talking to each other in 2015, right, for, for a stretch there. We'd have never known that, right? So I think to the Seahawks' credit, they've had these, like, disruptive figures there, whether it's someone like Sherm or you want to call Mike B disruptive. I don't think he necessarily was. I think his beef was with front office and, and vice versa. Uh, but even if you want to call, like, when er- when Earl and Bobby was, you know, had the little thing in 2017, there's always been little, like, dust-ups there. And it's never affected the on-field product. On Sundays, guys ball. That's it. You've never really watched the game and been like, man, this this team is falling apart. The guys, they've lost the locker room. No, none of that. So do I think that someone like AB could come in and disrupt that? Potentially. That dude kind of nuts. Um, but even then, there was like, how many guys liked Percy? Right, like that year. You know what I mean? And they won the Super Bowl. So I can see, that's also kind of how Pete Carroll's seen that, I'm sure. Like, no, nah, we could, what? As long, I don't care if they beat each other up before the game. You know, I think I think Percy fought someone else, too, during that season as well. Like, there was beef is the moral of what I'm saying. And it was enough that it didn't affect the on-field product. Those are like the untold stories that I like here in passing or something like that on the airport or something um, that you don't see on the field and don't even get necessarily reported, and they work out. Um, so that part of it could work. That's like the best defense I got if A.B. gets to tripping because he don't get the ball. Other than that, I got nothing. He might pull a Stephen Diggs and just not show up to work. Remember he was, like, Stephen Diggs, we don't even associate with being, like, selfish like that. But even he was like, man, if y'all ain't throw me the ball, I'm not coming. Like, that was it. Has a lot to do with Kirk Cousins as well, but I feel it. Well, it was just a – it wasn't <laughs> even necessarily Kirk, I don't think, as much as it was just, like, the system they were in. Mike Zimmer is very much from the Pete Carroll tree where he's a risk-averse, defense-first, play-action, run-game type of guy. And Stephen Diggs is like, dog, I ball. You know, like, uh, I don't know if we talked about Keenan Allen on this show. Uh, did we talk about Keenan Allen on here? Yeah, when it comes to route running, we definitely have. If we have, okay, yeah. so Keenan Allen made the claim that he's the best receiver in the NFC, AFC West, I yes. believe. And it, his uh, general claim was that he's underrated, which he probably is. I can see why Keenan Allen feels that way because when you are a receiver, the only thing that you can control 100% is getting open. Everything that happens after that is not your fault, whether your quarterback has time, whether your quarterback is accurate, whatever. All you can control is that you got open. Keenan Allen gets open about as well as anyone in the league, right? He's like top three route runner. Top five, easily. Yeah, like he, he, he does that. So if you're Stephen Diggs, he's like, yo, damn everything else, I'm open. <laughs> Throw, throw it the ball to me. <laughs> and that's where receivers get frustrated because it's like I'm controlling the one part I can control is that I can get open. Like, I'm open. That's it. That's my job. Everything else is y'all. So I think that you re- we probably run into that with A.B. because he can get open too. And if you don't throw it to him, that's where receivers, even the like, most humble receivers, like even the Keenan Allen, could get potentially frustrated or Stefan Diggs it's like dude I'm doing my part that I can control you know how players say control control what you can control and all that stuff yep it's for your receiver that's the one thing you have control over if Jameis throws a pick six you can't control that if Russ gets sacked you can't control that if Josh Allen throws it 20 yards over your head Stefan Diggs be prepared for that <laughs> uh he can't control it but what he can control is get open and AB that's where receivers really come from because they feel like they're always open and that's why you get that you know the tensions with the quarterback receivers and OCs but Seattle's had plenty of instances where it never affected the product on the field, and I think that works to the benefit more than anything else. I mean, Doug Baldwin cussed out a coach. Yeah. Remember he cussed out, uh, was that, Tom he, Cable? He was hot. Oh, it was, oh, it was furious. I'm hey, open. I don't even know what he was yelling at Tom Cable <laughs> about. Uh, even Sherm. Remember when Sherm went off in 2016? On the defense, yeah. Yeah, uh, during the Falcons game? rally around him. Yeah, and they won. Down. 
hey, sometimes it takes a, a village to get everybody, get, get people back on the same page. And you mentioned receivers always think they're open. Shadow Dracinco has the greatest quote of all time. Who? Shadow Dracinco. Oh, Johnson. yeah, okay. There's three things in life that are certain. Taxes, death. And eighty five always gonna be open. <laughs> All receivers take they open, man. That's good. <laughs> do we have a do we have a Josh Gordon clip? Did Pete talk about Josh Gordon today? Yeah, we got. Hey, can it. we can we play that real quick before we move? On? I think. Uh, damn, who asked about Josh? Greg Bell. Greg Bell. Shout out to Greg. Greg asked about uh, Josh Gordon and whether they consider that. Here's what Pete Carroll had to say about that. It's really not. You know, it's again, it's not in our hands. Uh, Josh did a really good job with us last year. Um, he fit in really well. He he, he was part of this team and. and uh, by the way we opened and embraced you know, his coming to us, but also by the way he attacked it. So um, we are very open to that thought, and uh, um, we'll see what happens. You know, Chris, I agree with Pete Carroll. I'm open to the Josh Gordon thing as well. Oh, yeah. We all are. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a big fan uh, of that. I do think he's a very good player. I, before we move on real quick, I do think, though, his when you read the stats, like seven catches in five games, I, w- I would like to see a lot more production than that if he signed for however many games in 2020. You know, I just I think he's more of a talent than that, I, especially because they ran. Um, I'm gonna get real nerdy here. They ran 11 personnel with three receivers 70 percent of the time in 2019, right? So, like, if you're gonna put three receivers on the field, and you know that's gonna be your offense, I would expect to see a lot more production from your number, even your number three guy. Because I think in 20, the last time Josh played a full season, it was that I think 2018. Uh, which he was with Cleveland and New England. And I think he had 40 catches for like 700 yards and like four touchdowns. That's the type of season I would like to see at a job. And that was in 12 games. So, like, I would like to see that type of year. Um, obviously, he only played like five for Seattle. But if he was to play like 14, I would like to see him get – obviously, four touchdowns would be great, maybe more. But in the 40 catch range, 30, 40 – 18 yards per reception, I think is what he had. That's really good. I would want to see that. I wouldn't want to see. Oh, I think he averaged like 20 yards per reception here, but that was only in five games. Anyway, I just want to see more out of him. I would. Pete Carroll would be doing a disservice if they added Josh or AB and wasn't slinging the rock. Unfortunately, Mike, we kind of know how that story ends. They brought in Jimmy Graham and they didn't really sling the rock. No, they should have with him, but they didn't. They didn't. And this could honestly be that same situation where you bring in an All-Pro at their position, and you just stick to your guns. As Pete said, look, I'm going to run the Pete offense. I'm going to run it down your throat, play action to DK. That's what it is. I'm going to be real. You know, the other argument, one last thing before we move on (laughs) to this. The other counter argument for not bringing AB is that uh, Pete's going to just use him as a run blocker. And (laughs) you know what? I feel you because he might do something like that. He just. I'm surprised when we played the clip that he didn't mention, yeah, yeah, he's a really good run blocker too. He can really help us in the run game. That's what Pete says. He can really help us in the run game. Like, people when we're hearing about no goddamn run game. <laughs> Throw the damn ball, Throw man. Throw the ball, man. But uh, we we digress. I want to talk about something uh, Pete also said today. Um, I keep saying today. Everybody's going to be hearing this the next day. It's all good, Mike. It's, uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, we heard from Pete Carroll for one of the f- uh, first times since uh, we basically just bombarded him with Colin Kaepernick questions in, I think, May or June. Um, and I asked him about Jordan Brooks. And I said, When's Jordan, what's the fastest route for Jordan Brooks to get to the starting lineup as a first-round linebacker out of Texas Tech? Um, and he was like, you know, he can play all three spots, um, Jordan can, um, but his fastest route is the Will linebacker spot, or we say linebacker, KJ spot. Um, and then he even experimented, or Pete said, you know, we love all linebackers, and we might have a scenario where we play all four guys, you know, sometimes. Um, and that means Bobby, KJ, Bruce, and Jordan. And I think I tweeted that because that is what he said. Um, however, I do think what he really means is a scenario where, like, Jordan's the strong side linebacker, and this is in a 4-3 front. Jordan's strong side, KJ weak side, Bobby middle, and then Bruce is on the edge, rushing, as a, just, just basically playing defensive end. Now, is that technically four linebackers on the field at once? Sure. But it's not some, like, super old school. You know how in Madden you can play the Bear defense? Or I think that 46. might be a 4-6. F- yeah, so that's a little different. It's called different. the Bear. You're right. Yeah, but that's that's a little different, but you get what I'm saying. Yes. It, it's saying it's going to be a bunch of heavy <laughs> on, on, on the line. Like, it's a traditional format that you can get those four linebackers on the field, and it's not that crazy. Though I get making jokes about Pete Carroll. But I, it, it, it brings me back to this conversation we probably had about Jordan Brooks, man. I just really don't. 
I don't really feel like giving the Seahawks the benefit of the doubt in this way that they made a great selection or a great use of resources. Jordan may be a fine player, but if his path, if his fastest path to the starting lineup in 2020 is trying to beat out your 10-year veteran, you're paying $10 million, I just don't think that's a good use of resources. Like, even if the player is good, like, I think another, like, extreme example and another team was, like, Jalen Hurts being drafted by Philly. Even if I think that's a good, like, backup, the fact that you just paid Carson Wentz and used a second-round pick on Jalen is just, you know what I'm saying, it's a bad use of resources. You know, I just don't like that. Even if Rashad turned out to be a good running back, which I think he is, and I want to get him on the show and talk about that, too. I just think that, um, you know, if you if you if if he wasn't going to be the guy, a first-round selection is poor use of resources. And with the Jordan thing, you know, I, I hope Jordan's good. I don't know the kid. I haven't met him or nothing, but I hope he has a great career or whatever. But I just think if you're Seattle and your plan is let's draft this guy in the first round and then, like, put him against KJ and see what happens, either they just think really low of KJ or they're just really just setting the kid up to fail. Because I keep debating this with people. Jordan is fast. He's very fast. Probably a good tackler, too. Football is about more than just speed at some positions because Tyreek Hill is just fast. <laughs> as, that's just what that is. But it's real, if you don't know where that speed's supposed to go, if you don't know your gap, if you if Bobby yells something to you, you're like, huh? And then they snap <laughs> the ball, and then, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's. I, I wish I, we had a camera to catch you when you just did it. I swear that's. that's <laughs> the, Bobby Wagner says this, and you, huh? <laughs> because that's. And not to say that Jordan can't read a playbook. I'm just saying, like. like Those it, are things it, that can happen as a rookie. As a rookie, as a rookie yeah. with no preseason, too. Like, that's this, another big no, thing. No, I think we talked about it before. We assumed there'd be a preseason. Maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't. But now we know the preseason is canceled entirely. So you're asking your rookie first round pick with no preseason, no OTAs, to come in and beat out your 10 year veteran, who's basically like BFS with your defensive coordinator, who's also uh, your linebacker's coach. Come on, man. That's setting the dude up to fail. I just don't think that's a good use of resources for that. Like, if Jordan beats KJ out, I mean, Godspeed, but I just don't like how this is set up with your first-round pick on a team that has holes. It's not like the, the Chiefs and, like, hey, man, we stacked everywhere. We pick whoever the hell we want. We pick a punter in the first round. We just won a Super Bowl. Like, the Seahawks aren't that. They have, like, holes in their uh, defense and in their offense, but holes in their defense that need to be addressed, and they've their first-round pick was someone who needs to compete with their 10-year veteran who's actually a pretty solid player. And even if they were, like, even, I would still say you should go with KJ because of his experience, especially with the offensive coordinators that you're going to have to be dealing with in the NFC West and across the league. So I just I just don't think that's a good situation for, for Jordan as a first-year guy. I really don't. I think that's unfair to him. I think that was a poor use of their first-round pick with other holes. You know what I mean? I, I really don't want to trash Jordan. I just no, I, I hear you. I, I almost want to just say, Pete, what were you guys thinking? What if they were looking at it from Kansas City standpoint when they drafted Mahomes, first overall or, fir- or first round, tenth pick overall? They have a guy in Alex Smith who is the quarterback of the team. Although you drafted someone in the first round who you would want to compete or actually be your starter, of course it ended up working out where Alex Smith isn't there anymore. We don't know if KJ is going to play again after this season. I mean, 10 years of been doing what he's doing and he's been really good at it. I mean, could he really come back for the 11th year after this season? Sure, he really could. Yeah, he but definitely could. Are the Seahawks understanding that they gave him a 2-year deal from starting from last year and this is kind of the end for him anyway? And then in that situation, you get a redshirt year from the guy and not you didn't really waste your resources cuz Sure, he went 27 in the first round. You want him to be a starter, but he also learned a lot from K.J., Bobby, and these guys. And now in his second year, he kind of has this Patrick Mahomes year where he is, wow, this kid is all pro his second year. I think that when your defense is kind of – when you're not your defense. When your team is kind of constructed to win things right now and you have other glaring holes, I don't like a redshirt year for your first-round pick. But you're right, it does work for quarterbacks sometimes. Um I think Lamar Jackson was going to be in a similar situation if uh, Joe Flacco didn't get hurt. Um, they would have just uh, done that as well. It looked like they were trying something similar with Baker Mayfield his rookie year too. Like, but quarterbacks, although that was stupid. But either way, with <laughs> court, it was your first round overall pick. First overall pick, you should play. Done. But it does work well, in some at, scenarios. Look at Rashad Penny though. Same thing with him, right? See, that's the thing about that's why I use Rashad. I don't just. I think if you if that's going to be your guy, the whole like he'll help us next year. Only works if your team is like a Kansas City, or even if your team is like um, if the Niners had their first round pick this year. I don't think they did. I think they had to trade up. Um, they traded to Forrest Buckner. That's what it was. 
I think if, unless you're a team like that, like you just won the Super Bowl or something like that, you don't have as many obvious holes. Because like, where are the Niners' obvious holes? I don't think they really have any in that that way. They could upgrade quarterback, but Jimmy G is still like relatively young in terms of how many starts he's had. I think the Seahawks have places to upgrade. Like I, I, I do. And I have to, so redshirting your first round pick effectively is what you're doing. I don't know. And, and when you're trying to win now, I just I don't know about that. One. Well, they brought in Jamal Adams. That helps the win now situation. Yeah, I'm right. talking about at the linebacker position. Well, in, they didn't have Jamal in the draft. True. So um, even if they thought that, you know, like Schneider started working on the Jamal thing months ago, good for him. Fine. But. I just wouldn't have used my resources that way with the way this team is constructed. I think, like, if if you're, like, uh, let's say the Ravens had done something like that the year before Ray Lewis was going to retire, they take Ray Lewis's replacement the year before. So when they go to the Super Bowl, Ray does the dance, he walks off in the sunset, and then, boom, you already have his replacement. You don't have to draft it right away. I think there is room for that, but on this specific team, I just don't think that red shirt in your first round pick at that spot was is the best use of it when you have other holes. I think the uh the, Where are the other holes at that you're looking at? I mean I know where you're I gonna thought go cornerback with. probably should have been addressed if you were gonna do that. They got Quentin Dunbar, so, hopefully. But um <laughs> who knows how that's gonna plan out now. Yes. So I think uh, let me be honest here real quick. I don't really think that many positions are worthy of a first round pick. I think outside of the top five, I think you're probably looking at maybe the top like eight top eight selections, I think you're only looking at like five positions that are even worth a first-round pick. That's me. So I would probably only take a, a quarterback, a – this is like, again, after the top eight. In the top eight, you could probably take whoever because that could be a game-changing talent, um, like legit J.J. Watt, Quint, uh, you know, Aaron Donald type of guy in that first eight, I think. I think you're on, uh, outside of that, you should really only be taking a quarterback, a receiver, a left tackle, a defensive end, or a corner. Was that five? Mm-hmm. That that's really it to me. So if you're gonna retro somebody in that in the 27 range, that's fine. I would rather do that with like like Dwayne Brown, for example, because they could that'd have been a good example. You think ah, Dwayne will be 36, cool. Um, let's take a left tackle now. We really we can redshirt him basically. I mean, Dwayne gets hurt, we play him now, but he can sit, learn behind Dwayne. That way, if Dwayne wants to walk away at 36 next year, clear up some cap space, he's done. Then. We already have a guy, and he's not a rookie. Because rookie left tackle, I don't believe in that, really, outside of the top, like, 10 or whatever. So that I would have been cool with. But I think at that position, I would have rather you, like, gone safety or defensive end, you know. That's probably the, the big position that they could have gone. Yeah, I don't, I don't think this team was in position, had the luxury, I should say, of saying, ah, we don't need you to 2021. I don't like that. I don't like that. Their defense was too bad last year, <laughs> for real. It was it, it was it was too bad last year for me to say confidently y'all can have the luxury of redshirting your top pick. No, 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 no. I'm not with that. I'm not with that one. That makes sense though. I understand where you're coming from, but I still have the standpoint. I get why the Seahawks would do it because again, with KJ, we just don't know where he's going to be at next year. And if let's say they didn't draft one, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say they're sticking with Shaquem and what they have now. Of course, they're probably going to go into free agency and get someone. With this, with Jordan Brooks. They're pretty confident this kid's going to be a stud anyway. They've already said, like, oh, we know this guy's going to be good, right? With that belief, getting him one year behind KJ or even competing at that level to start, even though he might not, even though that's probably not his goal. I mean, what, what rookie comes in saying, oh, I'm not going to play? That's no, they all, they, all want, they all want to play. Especially yeah. a first-round pick. Like Correct. They, they do not come into the league saying, I'm about to back up. I can't wait. No, they no. want to get out there no, they and play. show I am worth everything. But for Jordan, this is actually a learning curve. Hey, you're going to get behind one of the best to do it. You're going to be with another one, and Bobby Wagner, who is also an all-pro and elite guy, and you're going to learn. And then when it's your turn, boy, are you going to shine. That's where I think they're coming from. And I get what you're saying is why even waste your asset on that? You could have easily went defensive line and got someone that can produce for you week one because <laughs> right. you need that production based on – based off what the what we saw from the Seahawks and the 2019 campaign. I get it. So here's the, here's the other part about that. You're right. They could do a redshirt thing. Like, in that regard, Dwayne is the same as KJ. Whatever. Correct. Even if 
you have Cody Barton already. <laughs> That's the thing. Like you already invested in they, that spot. The future for Cody might be slim now, right? No, I mean, I don't. I don't think so. I think Cody's actually a really good player. Um, so we'll. That's the other thing. That's what makes it honestly. Yes, because you have a point there. If they even want to do that, fine. And they'll say, yeah, you got two studs at linebacker next year, whatever. And you got Bobby too, right? right. I mean, because you mentioned Chris, how long can Bobby do this again? Yeah, so I think because you're looking at, I think every team should look at it at their window like you a said two, 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 year, two year yep. interval. So, so for me, the other part about that is is bad because they got Cody and they still have BBK, and even if you think Jordan's way better than BBK, that's fine. BBK went to a terrible school, so I understand <laughs> that. Uh, but you already got Cody, and so by then in 2021, if you're saying, all right, let's say KJ retires or whatever, okay, we have third year Cody Barton, who should be there at that spot to play next to Bobby he's been groomed he'll you know he's be in the system got his body right speed of the game down he's already got some starts under his belt that would be that would be the logical step to me so that's that's another reason why I I just think they just didn't put Jordan in a position to really succeed right away and I don't know if um I don't know if Ken Norton's on that same like play the young guys wave that Pete Carroll's on Pete's on that play the young guys I love it is Ken on that? Is Ken Norton on to play the young guys thing? You want to play guys who know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, as you said, if Bobby Wagner yells a call, and, huh? It's yeah, if you, as soon as you hum me, you out. <laughs> <laughs> For real. You, huh? What you mean, man? I, I said, said cover 4B. <laughs> yeah, man. What you, no, man. I don't got time to be directing you. I mean, maybe they do now with no fans, so it'll actually be really quiet. But still, man, if you hum me, that means everybody going to hear your hum. Because <laughs> ain't no fans. So if everybody hears your hum, you got to go. There's so, a problem. Yeah, so I, I think Ken's more on some, I'm going to play who knows what they doing type of thing. Yeah. You know, like Ken Norton, when we talk to him, he doesn't say a lot. He uses a lot of football tropes, and it's very cliche. But one thing he always says is, man, he, he's played a lot of ball when we talk about guys. Because he likes guys who's played a lot of ball. Position coaches tend to favor uh, veterans over rookies. So I just I, I hope Jordan pans out. You know, I just really think that he's not in a position to succeed right now. And I think that was a poor a poor it's, it's a combination of things. You put the guy in a position where he's not uh, going to succeed right away or he's not in a great position to succeed right away. And it was just used a lot of resources to do it or he's like a high pick to do it. That's unfair. I think, and as much as I think the front office of Seattle usually does a good job, generally speaking, relative to their peers on roster construction, that particular, their first round calculations are really off. They keep getting guys that, like, may not even crack the starting rotation until, like, year two or three. It's just like, I don't think your first round pick should have to wait that long to crack the starting rotation, whether it's a quarterback, receiver, whoever. I feel it. See, that's their way of grooming, I guess. Yeah, and I just don't think you should do that with your first round pick. Like, if you don't think your first-round pick is is worth anything like that, he's like, oh, you're just taking a guy because no one will trade back. No, I mean, you got to trade back. <laughs> For real, <laughs> trade back. If you if you don't think that he'll start right away or have a chance to, yeah, trade back. No, I trade back. It. So I, I actually kind of feel bad for Jordan in that regard because there's a lot of hype that comes to being the first-round pick. Like, look at how people feel about uh, our, um, LJ and Rashad. There, no one's high on either of those guys, really, for the most part. And uh, it's not because of the talent. I mean, it might be with LJ, but mostly people are upset that they were first-round picks and aren't doing that. If LJ had a, last year, I think he had like five tackles or something. If he did that as a seventh-round pick, everybody would be like, ah, whatever. John Arsua had one catch last year. Everybody loved him, right? Like because the the resource that was used to acquire him, and I think you have to take those things into account when you're selecting players. Like, yeah, he's gonna have this pressure on him to do this type of thing because it's a first-round pick. Right, like, and that person should perform. And I think they've gone a lot of years now with like taking that, and this is somebody after red shirt or may not even start. The first round pick should start, I think, unless it's a red shirt thing with like a left tackle or a quarterback or something like that. Uh, maybe even a corner. Uh, like if Shaq didn't start his rookie year, or he's not first round pick. But you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yes. Agree to disagree on that one. Good discussion on it. I feel you. I understand where you're coming from. We also got to get to, real quickly, some transactions that's happened. Mike, what you got for us? I know that Will Disley, I heard he passed his physical. Who else? What else we got going on with the Seahawks? Speaking of Penny, yeah, he's still he's on the physically unable to perform list, uh, dealing with that ACL tear that he had in December. Um, some other guys who um, are on some, basically a version of PUP, is the non-football injury list for guys like Daryl Taylor, rookie, uh, pass rusher out of Tennessee, Colby Parkinson, rookie tight end out of Stanford, and then Marcus Webb, I believe, was an undrafted free agent defensive end out of Troy. Let's go with Troy. 
right? They're in the Sun Belt, right? I used to cover the Sun Belt, uh, so I believe that's where he's from. The, the, the NFI, I got some people asking me about this. Think of it as like, uh, and I, I wrote about this this morning too, think of it as like the pup for guys who got hurt not on company time. That's kind of the best way I can like explain that. Like someone like Rashad, he got hurt at work. Uh, Kobe did not. So you both can't pass a physical right now, which is basically what all of all of these. When you see people on like a list where they can't practice, that means they showed up to work, tried to get a physical, failed it for whatever reason. Like think of the definition of the the pup list. It means you are physically unable to perform. What'd you do? Fail a physical. That's a, uh, it, it sounds weird, but that's as simple as, as it gets. So I think that's actually really encouraging that Will Disley passed his. I think Uncle Will man is going to be what top three tight end. So I top four. Stay healthy man. That's I mean, all I'm asking for. A full season of Will Disley is it's scary. I think it's going to be really good, man. I think him I, and George Kittle going to be talking. Yeah, I think you're looking at us. Well, uh, Kittle's a beast. I got. I think Will's. I mean, Kittle's if he's healthy. A, Kittle is a monster, though. I will. He, he's a baby monster. He's coming up. Yeah, Will he's Disley. he's got to stay healthy. We even got like Zach Ertz, Travis Kelsey. Like there's other dudes who who ball too. Uh, he's I'm, in tier three. Okay, when it comes to tight ends. He just got to be healthy. I don't know what tier yet. You're right. Health is, is mad. But I'm excited about Uncle Will, who also went to a terrible school. <sighs> got to talk I, about We got to start to these guys about their school choices. It's very, very poor. The colors are bad. I don't like the coach. Uh, it's just not. Not the wave. No, not my thing. Not not my thing. But, you know, to each his own. Everyone makes mistakes. <laughs> um, yeah, that was kind of the big news. I mean, they signed Brandon Jackson back. I was but happy we, to see that. You mentioned that. You said they're probably going to end up bringing him back, especially with Joey Hunt. You also said that. Yeah, too. Joey Hunt, I think they'll probably try and bring back as well. Um, they cut both of them for money reasons. This is old news, Mike. You've already mentioned that. Yeah, that, that's true. I, I'm happy to see B. Jack. I like B. Jack. You, he's the one you did the shoes on, right? Or is that, that was, Quentin, that was Quentin, Quentin Jefferson? Jefferson. He's, he's in Buffalo. Uh, he's he, he gone. He's about as far away as he can be in Buffalo. <laughs> it's another road game they got that I probably ain't going to. <laughs> Too <I'm>, cold. <laughs> yeah, I ain't, I ain't going to Buffalo. Uh, yeah, that, that's good news on Uncle Will, man. Uh, not not the greatest thing on, like, the rookies who are on the NFI. But I do think with Daryl, I know I got some questions about this as well. I would imagine without any, like, super insight on this that he pa- he didn't pass the physical because of um, the surgery he had in January on the stress fracture in his leg. Not that he, like, like Colby got hurt working out. I think that was in June. That's different. Daryl got hurt. Again, it's a football injury, but it's not on company time. Because the non-football, mostly like company time. Like you got hurt. We wasn't there. <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> for real. We wasn't paying you when you did that thing. So, uh, at least we wasn't there. We might have been paying you. So that's that's all that means. I don't know the extent of Daryl's injury or even Marcus. Uh, I don't even have an update on Colby. But I think the distinction of that list, it's a little different than with Rashad um, because he was on company time when he got hurt. I don't necessarily think that speaks to like how long They'll be on the list. Um, that I'm not sure without knowing what happened to them or even what body part in the case of uh, Daryl and Marcus. But that's that's what that means. And don't worry if you didn't know. Shoot, that's cool. I had to call someone today. It's all good. To fi- to to fi- I had to call two people. We Actually, learned something new every day. The transaction wire is just so weird, man. It just it doesn't say like this person has been cut or this person like passed a physical. It says like we. It's almost like reading legal jargon. It's, it's it's not fun. It's it's a lot of words to say something very simple, you know. It's it's dumb. Waved, but, but good you, for you. Can't say cut. Well, that, that well, you do hit the waiver wire. I know, so but people can it, claim you off waivers. So I get that. But they yes, could, they could just say they cut you, and you're claimed off of waivers. Yeah, it's it's definitely not saying. that straightforward. Yeah, no. it'll say he like he was waived. It'll say termination of vested veteran or something like that on the thing. It's mm. like, oh, they cut him. That's really what that means. But that's our job to interpret it for the people. So that's cool. That's just part of the gig. That's part of the gig. <laughs> Anything you got coming this week, next week that you can you maybe give a little tea on? Ooh, I have an or I d- I've never written an oral history before. Oh, but I am writing one now. Coming. Okay, I am writing one now on um obviously it's on a Seahawk, but I think it's gonna be good. It's gonna be fun can be a little bit of seriousness in there too uh, but oral histories are tricky because you got to talk to a lot of people so i think that's going to come out before we do our next show nice okay i'm hoping so it's taking me a little bit but it's gonna be fun well if not we'll be ready for it whenever it comes out i mean yeah anybody doing it i guess they're watching <laughs> nba <That's laughs> that ain't doing nothing you're just watching yeah that's true that's <laughs> true just, you can read during halftime plenty of things you can do well we want to thank everybody again for tuning in to the new episode of Seahawks Man to Man. We appreciate the love and support. Be sure to rate, review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Mike, anything else you want to add, man? 
No, I'm verified. I don't have to add anything. Oh, here he go. Just we will catch y'all later. We out. Time to your bag and the color.